We sing, and just sang, of our love for the church, that we love the kingdom of the Lord, that we love the church of the Lord, and we turn our attention this evening to Lord's Day 21, and what we believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church. What do we believe about the church? Lord's Day 21 can be found on page 222 of your Forms and Prayers book. We will also be reading from 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 can be found on page 1301. 1301 of your Pew Bibles. Let's ask for God's blessing on the reading of his word. Lord God, we come before you and ask that what we have just saying, that we ju- what we just put before you in praise would be the reality in our hearts, that we would see your kingdom, we would see your church and the love that we have for it, that we would better understand what we believe about the church as well as our obligation to her, to this splendid institution, this wondrous thing, your holy church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll begin our reading from 1 John, 1 John 1. 1 John 1, just a bit of an explanation as to why we are reading this. I want to pay attention to, in this text, all the references to fellowship, all the references that John says to the fellowship that the apostles have with the church and they have with each other. He shows that in this chapter that the joys of our communion that we have as this body of Christ, he, the apostles as well show their desire to use their gifts for the enrichment of the other members of the church, which we'll see in the catechism lesson as well. We see that, the, that Christ is central to the church in this text as well and the holiness with which we are to live in it. So that's those elements that we take from 1 John 1 and apply to the church itself, especially that idea of fellowship. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Sends the reading of God's word from 1 John chapter 1. And now we read what we believe and confess about the Holy Catholic Church from Lord's Day 1. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, 
from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into judgment. We will be focusing this evening on the first two questions and answers of this Lord's Day about the church itself and what the communion of the saints is. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, an experience with your children, perhaps as you're driving back from church. There's this story told of a father who asked his son on the way back from church, what do you think about church? And his son responded, I like it. I, I like seeing all my friends and, and playing with them afterwards. I get to, to run around and spend time with them. And his father said, well, that's that's fine, it's good to see your friends, but that's, that's not really what I meant. When I say, what did you think of church, I meant the, the service, the worship service. And the son responded, oh, I, I like that too. And the father then said to him, well, what did you like about it? And he, he said he liked the, the singing, he liked, he liked hearing the sermon. Perhaps not with as much enthusiasm did he say this about being able to see his friends, but we understand that there is maturity that has to take place. But then the the son got a quizzical look on his face and said to his father, Well, Dad, if, if the church is the worship service, does the church end when the service ends? And his father said, well, no, no, of course not. The, the church is always existing. The church doesn't end there. And, and then the son got another quizzical look on his face and said, Well, I'm a bit confused. What exactly is the church? And his father said, Well, son, the church is... Um, and started to stammer a bit, looked to his wife for some support, and then said, well, that's a good question. You see, what this fictitious story brings about is the fact that it can be difficult at times to define something so fundamental to us, to, to answer a question that should be quite basic, something so simple. What is the church? We're all part of it, right? Well, what is it? It actually can be difficult to answer, difficult to respond. And that's what we look at in our first point, which corresponds to the first question and answer of Lord's Day 21. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I would highly recommend that you memorize, and boys and girls, that you would memorize question and answer 54 here as a definition for what do we believe the church is? What is the church? This gives you an answer, a way to respond that that is fulsome. And the reason I say that's a fulsome answer is because you could give a correct but somewhat lacking answer. The church are true believers. Absolutely true. 
The church is indeed true believers. But the reason that lacks a little bit of of explanation and understanding is that the definition itself has to be explained. If you say it's true believers, you're implying there's such a thing as false believers. And what does that mean? What's the difference between the true and false? And then to even say it's true believers, well, you're saying they're believing something, which means there's a system of beliefs You see, is to just say they're true believers too broad. For example, are not followers of Allah true believers in him? Does that mean they are saved? And of course we would answer, no, because that is not the true church. That is not the way of salvation. But then what is? And so you see, you need to expand a bit on simply, it's the elect or it's the true believers. You know, the ways that we use church, how different cult it can be to answer it, is explained, it's expressed in how many ways we use the church, how many phrases. They all mean slightly different things. If I were to say, how do you like church, just like the beginning story, what I would be meaning there is the activities of church, the worship service itself. How do you like it? Do you like worship? Do you like listening to sermons and singing and praying and giving offerings? Is that what you like? And in that idea, really, what I'm asking is the activities of the church. If I were to say, are you part of a church? Now what I'm meaning is a denomination or a federation or even a local church. I'm, I'm really asking, are you a member of a church? Do you belong to a church? And getting at that idea of church membership. If I was to say, I'm heading to church? Well, now I mean the building, the place where the church gathers. If you were to hear someone say Jesus will save his church, what you would understand is he will save his elect. It's referring to those he saved, the true believers. But then if you heard someone say the church is a mixed multitude, what would we mean there? Well, we would mean that not all who are part of the visible church are necessarily saved. Not all who are members of a church express true faith and will be saved. And so it's a mixed multitude. You see all these ways of understanding what the church is and and how do we explain it? How do we understand it? And that's why I would recommend that we memorize this question and answer. And we're going to go through each line of it. Each line of this question and answer builds a definition and an understanding of what the church is. And so we go through it first. I believe that the Son of God, this is where we start, I believe that the Son of God. Here we are establishing some very important truths. First, we're establishing which God this is. This is the Trinitarian God, because we're talking about the Son of God. And we understand now whose church this is. We understand who is the one who is the power of the church, the head of the church. It's the Son of God who does this. The Son of God is the agent behind the gathering, the protecting, the blessing of the church. We see the ownership. It's Christ's church. Christ is the head. We see that here by just saying, I believe that the Son of God. We've given a definition of who this is. We know in submission to him, he is our head. That a Christian belongs to Christ, he is the head of the church. And then we continue. I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word. And here we see the two important means of the church, by which the church is formed, by which the church functions, by which the church is fed and is preserved and continues on by means of the Spirit and the Word. We are a spiritual body. 
We are a spiritual community united by the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in his people. And the Spirit is the one who brings the Word of God, which is the vehicle of the church. This is how we find faith. How, are, how does one believe? Well, it's through the preaching of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word through the church, the Spirit uses to bring those into his church. So the means of the church by which it grows and is nourished is the Spirit and the Word. The, the Word of God is used by the Spirit. The Spirit changes hearts, births us again, regenerates us. And so you can't be a part of this church, this body of Christ. You can't know the Son of God as your head without having the Spirit and the Word of God be the means by which you know it. It also establishes Scripture as our authority. As the vehicle of the church, it is the Word of God. Now we continue... Out of the entire human race. What does this add to our building of our definition of the church? Out of the entire human race. Well, we believe in what's a Catholic church. That's in the question of the catechism itself, this holy Catholic church. Catholic means universal. It means global. It means widespread. It means that there is one church. And that's what we see here. It's out of the entire human race. You see, the church doesn't belong solely to one race, to one nation, to one people. It is out of the entire human race. This means, then, that there is a, a body called out, called out of something else, of a larger body, of humanity itself. This also, then, means that there are those who are not a part of it, that there are those who don't belong because the church is taken from this larger body. It's out of the entire human race that God has formed his church. There are those who don't belong. There are those who don't believe. There are those who are not saved. You see, it doesn't include every individual in the world, but it does include all of humanity as far as all races, nations, peoples are brought into this one body of Christ. And then it says, from the beginning of the world to its end. This is, establishes its parameters of the church. How long has this church existed? From the beginning of the world. You see, the true church, the true body of believers, didn't begin in the New Testament. Even if we speak of it at times as the beginning of the church, we understand that the, the people of God have existed from the beginning, from creation itself. Jesus has been gathering out of this entire community from the beginning of the world to its end, this church. Which means that the church will last till the end. From the beginning to the end, God preserves his church. We see then that the church did not come into existence at that one point, but has always existed as the peoples of God. And we also see that this community will not fall apart before Christ comes. It will endure we also see what happens, what God, what the Lord does for his people. He gathers, protects, and preserves for himself. Those are important words. Gathering, protecting, preserving. We are a nation, a people, a body of believers that are protected, that are gathered, that are preserved. We can trust that. We can trust in our endurance that the church will not fall apart. The church will always last. It won't be defeated because the Lord is preserving it. 
the Lord's gathering it, the Lord's protecting it. And then the next line, a community chosen for eternal life. There are two very important words here, community and chosen. What is a community? A community is a a gathering of people or group around something. Perhaps the the best idea of a community is one we're well acquainted with, our neighborhoods. So that's our community, right? And and what's what's the the unit that what, what binds that community together? It's the proximity with which you live together. You're you're in close proximity. You live in the same place. You see each other. You experience very similar things. You're together as that community. But there's communities that find themselves surrounding something else as well. Ideas or hobbies. There's, there's a gun community. There's a hunting community. There's, there's a baking community. There's a community around many different things. And what would unite those types of communities would be their common interests, their common desires. What is the community here? It's the community of Christ. And rather than simply sharing just a proximity in physicality, as if we live right next to each other, and more than simply being related to one topic or interest, this community is united together. We are a community that belongs together. That's an important word, that idea, community. Really, that's getting at the idea of fellowship. That's why we read First John. The fellowship with which the apostles desired to have with the community and the people by forming this fellowship, this togetherness, this union. So that's the first important word there, but the other one is the word chosen. A community chosen for eternal life. Just how does this community gather together? Well, it was handpicked. It was chosen, it was elected, it was predestined by God himself. And so the church is a chosen community. And what is it chosen for? Eternal life. And then we see the next important point. What binds or unites this community together? What is it that is the central function, the central glue of the church itself, united in true faith? United in true faith. Faith. You see, to, as we began to just say the church is the elect believers, this expounds on it and rather says this is a community chosen for eternal life, united in true faith. This is the bond that unites true faith in Jesus Christ. And it ends with the personal statement of faith and of this community, I am and always will be a living member. Now, we've dissected each line so we understand what we're meaning here. So what is a definition of the church? Here's a stab at it. There are many ways, by the way, that you could define the church because it's many-faceted. It's multifaceted. But using the catechism, here's a stab at a definition. The church is the gathered, eternal, and universal community of Christ made through the Spirit and Word, united in true faith, preserved by Jesus as his bride for his glory. I'll read it again. The church is the gathered, eternal, and universal community of Christ, made through the Spirit and Word, united in true faith, preserved by Jesus as his bride for his glory. Now that won't always be a workable definition. 
You won't always be able to just whip that out of your pocket in, in answer to what the church is, but that gives you the idea, the, the fulsomeness of the definition that we're looking for. It's important that we get this. It's important that we understand this. Why is that? Well, what we sang before in our hymn is that we love thy kingdom, Lord. And the second verse said, I love thy church, O God. Her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hand. We are to love the church as God loves the church. We're to appreciate it as he does. Sadly, that, that doesn't often happen. Certainly in the world. What does the world think of the church? Mostly they ignore it, but if they don't, likely they think of us as a, a group of crazy people or, or gullible people to believe in what their estimation is fairy tales, something that you no true rational person could accept in their opinions. And yet even worse, they might think of us as that, that gathering of, of unloving bigots who don't practice what they preach. Maybe that's what the world thinks of the church. But it's not just the world that sadly has a wrong view of the church, but even us in it at times. We can become very embittered to the church. We can treat it in such a way that that's not like the apple of God's eye, but rather something that, that can just be t just take or leave. It can be discarded. What happens, it's not uncommon for us to rip the church apart. It's not uncommon for us to complain about each other. It's not uncommon for us to complain about how it's functioning. Often congregants, we may speak of the church and, and complain about each other. Might church hop, treat it like it's there for us and our enjoyment, perhaps. This can happen even those who serve in the church. Officers in the church can as well lose the, the true view and image of the church and become embittered. They can think it's just one big headache. They can get sick of, of dealing with the people. That can happen to those who serve in the church. And all of that is wrong. All that doesn't present the beautiful picture that the church is. Look at that definition from the catechism. What a, what a beautiful thing to which we belong here. It's the Son of God's, through His Spirit and Word, called out of the entire human race, protected, gathered, preserved, a community chosen for eternal life, one united in true faith. And of this community I am and always will be a living member. There's that desire to be part of it. And that should be our desire as well. That's what the church is. But what does it mean to be a living member of Christ's church? That's where we get at the, the second point of the catechism and the second point of our sermon. What is the communion of saints? This is where we dig in deeper into the beauty of what it means to be a community and what it means to be a fellowship. Catechism explains that we share in this communion in two ways. First, the first element of this communion is that we have fellowship and membership in Christ himself, and that's the key. We are united to Christ. It's in him, and because we're united to Christ, we are then united, each of us, to one another. This is why it's not as if we've just come together as a community around some hobby. It's much deeper than that. It's a community that is joined together. You are, in fact, more deeply connected to each other than you are to your physical family because the union of the Spirit, the bond we have in Christ, is far deeper, far greater 
than descent, generational descent from families. You are closer together to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You share more in common with them by the very fact that you both dwell in Christ himself. This is how we are joined. It's in Christ, and in him we share in all his treasures and gifts. Christ has sprinkled over his church and all of us many gifts and many blessings that are meant to be used for the betterment of the church and for each other. No single church and no single person possesses all those gifts and all those treasures, but the body of Christ together has been given all that it needs to be a blessing in the world, to be a blessing to each other. What are these gifts? There's many. We can't even name them all. Some of them are wisdom, true knowledge and faith, the grace of God that sanctifies us and heals us, God's supernatural care for his, his people, Spirit-breathed understanding, the revelation of God. These are all aspects of it. The gifts to teach, to be hospitable, to be in prayer, to love. We are all members of this, and, and that means something. That means we all have an obligation. The second aspect of this communion, as the Catechism says, is towards each other. The Catechism says that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. That's a deep calling, and one that I think we could look at and, and in all of our hearts and say we need to do that and do it better. We diminish the gifts that God has given us when we don't use them. When we don't use them for the church, there's no point in the gift then. If we're not using it for the service and enrichment of each other, then why do we have it? And if we're not using the gifts God has given us for the church, we're actually in a partial state of rebellion. We're not doing what he called us to do. We're not using all that he's given to us for the benefit of the church and our brothers and sisters in it who actually need it, who need us. Today we see two very common faults in understandings of the church. That's the idea of separation and consumerism. Separation or individualism is this idea that you're not obligated to join. You're not really a part of it. The, the broader state of the church is very sad. What has it become? In, in many parts of this world, in our country, I would say, it's just become a place to go listen to a sermon. And in the broader circles, what it's become is you go and listen to your sermon and you leave. And you have no fellowship with each other. And that's church. Reduced down to perhaps one to two hours a week. Is, is that a fulsome expression of this idea of the church? It's not. And it's sad. It's sad because this is what we should be. This is what we could be. This blessing to each other. Just imagine if all those part of a church used all their gifts and sought to use their gifts for the betterment of each other in that church, to serve the church. We would know and we would see no end to the blessing that came from it. This idea of this individualism, this separation, is completely against what Scripture teaches. You can't practice the Christian life in isolation per this definition of the church. You're a called-out 
member of something into something else. You're not called by to be one person. You're called into a body, into a community. That's the way God's word speaks of it. You're brought into a community of faith. Everywhere in the New Testament, when there were those who believed, they were immediately brought into that local congregation and that local church. They were brought under the headship and authority of elders. They were called to submit to those elders. It wasn't a faith practiced in isolation. And I say this especially to the younger members here. You will not have a faith if you practice it in isolation. It's that simple. You won't. You will fall away. God strengthens his people, and he uses his church to nourish the faith of its members. And you need each other, and you will not last without this community. And this is why there's a lot of explanation in that itself to the state of our churches in our country and to many in the world now, because we think we can be individuals and separated from it, and we can't. You can't. That's why this is important. There is no idea of churchless Christians in the Bible. There are those who belong and need it. We see that in 1 John. The apostles were just so full of desire for the fellowship with the saints. That was their desire, to see them accept the gospel, to be united to them in faith. And that's our desire as well. And so this idea of, of separation or individualism is incorrect, it's, as well as the idea of a consumeristic understanding of the church. Because here's the other problem. We treat the church as, as, it's, as if it's for us. It's for me. I choose what I like for as long as I like it. The church isn't something to which I belong and use all my strengths and gifts to bless the church isn't something that I need to join and be obligated to join it. I will stay as long as it serves my purposes, as long as I am entertained by it, or as long as it helps my self-care. As long as it's giving me something. It's all consumerism. It's this idea that the church is for us rather than you for the church. Rather than you being used for the blessings in the church, all you want, and I'm not saying you as specifically, but in the broader sense, is that we just want it for ourselves. That's what we fight against. That's not the idea of church. That's a sad commentary on it. And you might ask yourself, well, what can I do? How? How do I do this? Let me give the starting point. Where we begin, this isn't where we end, this isn't the goal, but this is a, the first and necessary step. Be there. Be present. Attend. We have no idea how important even our bodily presence is for the church. And we can illustrate that. We've all been in churches, big buildings that are just empty. Spread out. No one's there. And there's this feeling of, it's, it's as if the, the oxygen's just sucked from the building. We even describe it certain ways. We say, that church is dying. Not quite sure that's a good way of speaking of it, but that's what we feel. The church is just suffering and dying. It's, it's withering away. You see, even our presence there, our attendance, is so vital. Breathes life into the church. And that's a gift we all can give. To be there and engaged and active. 
Now, I say that that's not the end goal, because there's another problem where we would only ever attend and not use other gifts, but that's the starting point. Attend and know that you sitting in the pew is an encouragement and a blessing to others around you. You being at the church functions and events, you being there when there's a need to be fulfilled is a blessing. But this is how great a picture the church should be, and I want you to think of it this way. Too often... Our idea of good members is a responsive one instead of a proactive one. A responsive idea of church membership is that when there's a need, you fill it. When the bulletin announcement comes out or when you're approached to help or lead or volunteer, you, you say, yes, I will, I will respond. And that's, that's wonderful. That's what has to happen. You are being a faithful member to do so. But there is an even better, an elevated idea of this. And this is what the catechism is getting at that we look for ways to use our gifts for the service of the church. That it's not like we just have to respond to the need, but rather we go beyond the needs of the church. If we're only ever filling the needs of the church, you're never reaching your full potential, right? You're only just treading water in one sense. You're only just filling the plugs that need to be filled, keeping the water from seeping in and drowning. That's not the idea that we want. Rather, we want to be building, we want to be nourished, we want to be blessed. I look out and I see so many gifts displayed here that can be used for the blessing of the church, for Christ himself. Some of you are prayer warriors. And that's a blessing that, that is amazing that we need. Some of you have gifts. You're able to bake and cook. You do it well. Could you not use that for the church, for those who might need it, to use that as a, a service of ministry? Some of you are strong and skilled with your hands, and, and how can you use that to help those who may need help? You see, the, the list is endless. The, the medical personnel that can lend their services, the, the, the plumbers, the electricians, the farmers, all of them. How can we use what we have and our gifts for the betterment of the church? And it's not just to our vocations. Often your interests can help here. What are you interested in? Do you, do you desire to see that this church would have a, a better idea of fellowship. And here, here, here's a good explanation of that. Here's a, a typical type of complaint. That church is really clicky. That church is really clicky. You hear that a lot, right? Now maybe you might think, you know, I wonder, is our church too clicky? Now what might you do in response to that to just say, yeah, we are? Or instead to break away from the clique, to go welcome the visitor, or to go talk to others who you don't really know and haven't really talked to. Do you see how that blesses the church? Possibilities here are endless. Your gifts to be used for the blessing of the church itself. There's not a person here who doesn't have gifts. Everyone here is gifted and can bless the church. Where you even see your church lack seek to change it. Where you see that the church might be blessed to have or do something or need something, fill that role, fill that need. If you see it, well, guess what? You're first in line to fix it as long as you go through the proper means. As long as you don't just act along by yourself, you do it with the blessing of the elders. But if you do it that way, how blessed can the church be? 
Why is that important? You know why I'm not saying that's important? It's just because we want to have blessings. It's not it. It's a reflection of Christ. It's a reflection of what he's done for you and for each other. We diminish the output of Christ, if we put it that way, when we don't use the gifts he's given for the service of the church. And like I said already, that means we, we might as well not even have the gift. But we do have that gift, and what a blessing. What a blessing it is to see those in the church serve the church. It's so encouraging. It's encouraging to me. I, I, I'm so encouraged to see those who work, who give of their time and their talents, and bless the church. And it happens in this congregation all the time. What a blessing. And yet, let's seek in our hearts how might we better serve Christ, serve each other. The church is a splendid thing. We all have a part to play in it. We all have a blessing to give to it. All for the service of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Let's be a beautiful bride. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be a community chosen for eternal life that's united to you in faith and as well united to each other. Lord, we ask that you would give to us the blessings to serve each other, to serve you through serving and loving our brothers and sisters. Lord, convict us where we need to serve better. Change us where we need to change Lord, we pray that you would bless the work that is being done in the service and, and work that is done in this church as well as all your churches. But we pray, Lord, we have more to give. Help us to give it well. We ask this in your